I'm always interested in who makes it in life. Because if life teaches us anything, whether it's in business or entertainment or in the athletic world, it's, it's always curious, isn't it, that some people have all kinds of opportunities. And, and like in the NFL draft, there will be people that would be highly regarded and yet they don't make it. And on the other hand, there will be people who are free agents who weren't even drafted who will make it big. So, like somebody, anyway, wasn't a free agent, but like Tom Brady. So for me, I'm always interested in that. For one thing, I've always loved biographies, and there's sort of the Abraham Lincoln factor of coming from nowhere and rising to the top. What is it about a person that allows them to make it? Yesterday morning, I had the privilege of being at the Wichita State graduation. My, do- my, grand- my daughter-in-law, Elle, was graduating, and-, and it was just really exciting to watch her, but there were the-, the floor was filled with graduates, some getting uh, undergrads, some getting master's degrees, some getting PhDs. And you look out on that sea of graduation regalia and you wonder who's going to make it, who's going to go to the top. So I've always been interested in that. I've been interested for my own self because I want to I be a success. Not that I want to be rich and famous or anything. It's just that I want to I make a difference. So because of that, I'm interested in who makes it. But there's even a more uh, practical reason why I care so greatly about that. Most of you guys at New Spring, you know me either as a communicator of God's truths or perhaps... I've ministered to you or your family during a, a difficult time. But what you might not know is the other six days of the week, week I lead an organization. And I, I lead a staff. And I'm sort of the linchpin when it comes to hiring. And, and you've got to understand that with limited resources, and, and I'm sure you've seen enough of our environments and our culture here at New Spring to know that we really have the pedal to the floor and we're very serious. And so here's the deal. I have to hit every time when it comes to hiring. I have to hire only the very the best, the creme de la creme. And in, and in my interaction with people before they join our team, I have to know, are they the kind of people who will make it? In, in helping me with this, I have a great friend here at New Spring. We've been very close friends for a long time. He and his family are New Springers. Um, his name is Rich Gwinnall. Rich has reached the upper echelon of the HR world, and not just in one field, but in two fields, um, first in banking and then in manufacturing. And because of that, Rich has hired hundreds and hundreds of executive-level personnel. And so for the last 15 years or so, Rich and I have sat across the table from each other, and I've shopped HR decisions by him because he is such a brilliant guy. And and someday we've got to have him up here on stage to tell a story. Rich is a second-generation believer. He came here from India, and God blessed him, and he married like I did over his head because Shiloh is awesome. And, uh, but he just, he's just a great friend, and now he's got his own consulting firm, and, and, and he's a blessing in New Spring. I, the other day, I was, I was shopping by him um, some character traits, a, a package of character traits, um, in a kind of uh, hypothetical situation. But I, I, I listed out for him this particular character trait package, and I said, um, have you ever seen someone like this make it? And his answer is what got me started thinking about the series. He said, if the problem is not attached to his character, you can fix anything. But he said, if the problem is attached to character, the cure rate drops real low. And that's what got me thinking about character. Because see, in our culture today, we don't hear a lot about character. We hear a lot, of about, a lot about developing your skills, which is great. We hear a lot about following your dreams. But we don't hear as much about character as we heard about in previous generations. See, 
Character is who you are backstage. All of us are called to center stage. I mean, right now, really, I'm on stage. But metaphorically, everyone here today is on a stage. You're, you're on center stage. You may be on multiple stages playing multiple roles. But the question is, when the curtain comes down, when the curtain closes and the lights fade and the grease paint scrubbed off, who are you? Who am I? Do I know? Does anybody ever get to see who I really am behind the curtain? I remember years ago, in fact, so long ago, it was before Jonathan was born, Mary Alice and I lived in Fort Worth at the time, and we used to go to Christian concerts, and we were going to a particular Christian concert in an arena, and when we got there, we found out that they had overbooked, they had oversold, and we thought they were going to tell us we had to leave, but instead of doing that, they said, no, we've got it all figured out, and so they called the group of us that there were no seats for to come forward actually to the stage, and they brought us to the, what would really be backstage where they had set up what looked like 100 wooden chairs. And they said, you guys are going to sit here. So we actually sat behind the bands as they came up and performed. It's kind of an interesting perspective. There was a band that we had known about for years. I'd listened to them. This is how far back it was. We had their eight tracks in our car. <laughs> Everybody under 40 is like, what's an eight track? <laughs> Unless you've been in the museum. And this band, this Christian band came on stage, and they worshiped, and they cried tears at, at, at key moments, and oh, they led us to the throne of God until the curtain came down. And then they just turned rude. They were rude to each other. They were rude to us. It wasn't our fault. We were sitting behind them. And then they started using cuss words. You know, I never could get Mary Alice to go see that group again. Because you see, what they were on stage wasn't what they were backstage. That's what this series is about. It is about who is the real you. What is your character, your inner person? Because it's one thing to present one face on stage. It's something else to be the real person when the stage closes. I read this story when I was in college. I actually had to go fishing for it. But there was a story about a man who was sort of the premier, what we would call, psychologist of his time. It certainly wasn't psychology. It was sort of before psychology came in, in, into view. But... He helped people with what was called melancholia. We would call it depression today. But anyway, a young man walked in one day to be treated, and he, he said, I don't feel like life is worth living. I don't feel like life, I don't feel like it's worth going on. I don't see any purpose for getting up in the morning. I, I don't even want to live anymore. And so when the doctor, so-called, heard his story, he said to him, well, I think I've got help for you. He said, normally I would prescribe for you one of my powders. That's what they called medicines back then. But he said, you know, he said, I went to this I went to this show in Covent Gardens last night, and he said, what you need to do is you need to go down there and see this show, because he said, I went down there, and I saw this comedian named Grimaldi, and he did this really, really funny act, and, and it just, you know, I, I just couldn't stop myself from laughing, and I'm feeling so good. You need to go down there, buy a ticket, see the show, and then you will feel better. And he stopped the doctor and said, but I am Grimaldi. Well, you and I don't need this story because we have a much more recent story. Funniest guy in my lifetime was Robin Williams. And I don't laugh all that easily, but Robin Williams could have me lying in the floor holding my sides. And not just in his movies and his television shows, but just when he was doing his stand-up act and that manic going from idea to idea and thought to thought, humor to humor so fast. ADD people loved Robin Williams. Trust me on that. 
I, I never saw anybody who could make me laugh like Robin Williams, and yet you and I know from the sad, tragic end of Robin Williams that the person that he was on stage wasn't the person that he was off stage. And my heart went out to him when I heard his story because I thought, how many times did Robin Williams go on stage and make people laugh when he wasn't feeling very good on the inside? So this series is all about who are we behind the scenes? Why this disconnect between the person we are on stage and backstage? Well, I don't pretend to know all the answers, but I think a whole lot of it is the broken world that you and I inherit. Because to some degree, when you think about it, the brokenness of this world summons us to sort of be two different people. When Rich knew I was going to do the series on character, he, he bought a book for me. And during the, in between the services last week, he sent someone to bring me the book. The book is by David Brooks. David Brooks, some of you may, recommend, may, may recognize the name. He is a speaker, author, columnist. He's one of the talking heads, one of the smart people in the think tanks. And he's written a book, I guess it's sort of a big hit right now, called The Path to Character. And so I started reading it last week. And one of the first things that David Brooks said in his book that I really liked and it resonated with me, he said there are resume virtues and there are eulogy virtues. Now, the resume virtues are the, are the qualities that we develop in order to get our foot in the door, in order to be beautiful enough, smart enough, attractive enough, engaging enough. You know what your resume values are. I mean, you've done resumes, many of you. In order to get a job, you have to talk about what you think you can bring to the table. But then there are eulogy values. Eulogy values are what people are going to talk about when you die. Now, listen. I've, I've probably done over a 1,000 funerals in my lifetime. If, if you, I know about eulogy values. I know what people talk about at a funeral. When they talk about their dad, their mom, their grandparents, their sisters, their brothers. And I will assure you, David Brooks has got it spot on. The things that people put in their resume is not, or they're not the same things that people talk about at someone's funeral. So what would you like for someone to say when they pass your casket? I like what Mark Twain said. He said, I want them to say, look, he's moving. But I'm serious. <laughs> really, what, what is it that you want people to say about you when, they, when you die? Let, let me, I, I've got this statement written down because I, I think it's so important for us to understand. I'm not necessarily talking about you and me, but I'm talking about the world and spe specifically the country that we live in. Here's the way people think today. We will spend the first part of our lives trying to get what we want our resume values. That's success. Whatever it is, we will spend the first part of our life getting what we want. Out of that success will come meaning. And when I find that meaning, it will determine who I am, my character. Now again, I don't know that people articulate that, but it's just pervasive in our culture today. I am going to spend the first part of my life getting what I want, and when I get what I want, that success, then I'm going to have a sense of meaning and purpose. And out of that sense of meaning and purpose, it will define who I am. And listen, guys, it just never works that way. That's why when people reach the top of what they consider to be success, they're miserable and unhappy. It starts just the reverse. You have to decide who you are, who you are as a person, who you are backstage, what are your values? What are your eulogy values? What are the things that will matter to you when you die? Because as someone said, until you're ready to die, you're not ready to live. 
And so we're going to talk about that in this series. For the next five weeks, we're going to talk about building character. Because as Rich said, if the problem is attached to the character, the cure rate goes real low. If the problem's not attached to character, you can fix just about anything. We want to be those kinds of people that wherever we wind up in life, whether we're talking about where we're employed or being a husband or wife or being a parent, we want to be the kind of people who can fix just about anything that we need to adjust in order to be the success, true success that we want to be and we'll want to, we'll want to have been when we leave this life. Now, let me give you three reasons, and I'm still in the introduction. I'll get out of it real fast here in just a minute. Let me give you three reasons why character is so important. Number one, it's so important to God. And remember this, we are in his hands, not he in ours. And resume virtues mean absolutely nothing to God. In the Bible, there's a story of a prophet, a Jewish prophet named Samuel. And God has sent him to anoint the next king of Israel. And he, all Samuel knows God's got a weird way of doing things. Um, I love them, but they're just strange. God said to Samuel, I want you to go to Bethlehem. There's a guy named Jesse. He's got sons, and one of his sons is going to be the next king. So Jesse trots out his sons, and his oldest is tall and good-looking. And so Samuel's thinking, well, of course, God wants the oldest son. He's got the horn of oil. They poured oil on guys' heads when they got to be king. He's got the horn of oil ready to, and God said, no, 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 Samuel. I don't want him. don't want him. Now look at what God says. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Let me, let me, let me give you another word for that. It's what Rich was talking about. The Lord looks on the character. <laughs> the Lord doesn't care who you are on stage. He cares about who you are backstage. Who is the real person? That's what God cares about. God, could, God doesn't care at all about your resume virtues. A week or so ago, I was speaking for an national, international conference, and I was given this glowing introduction of achievements. Do, do you know God is not concerned about any of those achievements? All he wants to know, is Mark humble tonight? Is Mark listening to me before he steps on stage to preach to all these leaders? Is his heart right? Does, is his motive right? Does he have it right? I mean, God is concerned about who I am backstage. Well... What is character? We've been kind of throwing that word around a little, and it is a hard word to define. Some people say character is who you are when nobody's looking. I've heard one definition that says character is who you are when you're 500 miles away from home. There's no one else there. But let me give you what I believe is a practical definition because we're practical people. I believe character is being trusted to do the right thing consistently. Not perfectly because nobody's perfect. But character is being able to be trusted to do the right thing consistently. Now, we're going to merge into the topic of the day, and it's going to be an easy merge because, really, we've kind of set up this first character quality. We're going to talk today about honesty. We're going to talk about the importance of being honest, of being truthful. How important is honesty to you? 21st century American, probably not all that important. I mean, truth be told, no, no, no pun, our, our generation just doesn't value honesty like previous generations did. You know my granddad's generation? You know the worst thing you could call a man? A liar. You call a man a liar in my grandfather's generation, you better be prepared to fight. 
They didn't, they didn't have anything. I mean, they were in a depression. There were times when, I mean, I've heard my uncle tell about times when my grandparents didn't, didn't have food to put on the table. But the one thing they had was they had their integrity, and they guarded that. You, you, you may have heard about a previous generation where a, a person's word was as good as a contract, better than a contract. You, you may hear stories of people doing major deals on a handshake. That was because in previous generations, honesty was valued much more than this today. And I don't know why it's not as important today, but I, I do think it goes back to some things that have happened culturally. In America, we had a couple of presidents in the media age look us in the eye and lie to us. Now, guys, if you think this is political, it's not. I'm not a political person, and one of these is a Republican, and one of these is a Democrat, so trust me, this is equal opportunity stuff here. <laughs> the first one to do it was Richard Nixon. Richard Nixon was a Republican president, and he was elected in, in 1968, re-elected again in 1972, but before that second election, there had been some dirty tricks, and somebody had broken into the Democratic National Headquarters, and it became a scandal. And I don't know that Nixon was involved in the actual inst instructions for the breakup, but he was very much involved in the cover-up. And when it hit the fan and he was called to speak to the American people, he looked us in the eye on television and said, I had nothing to do with it in certain language. But when Alexander Butter Butterfield was testifying before the Senate committee, he let it slip that there were some tapes, that everything that went on in the White House in the, in, in the Oval Office was taped. And so Judge Sirica told Nixon to turn over his tapes. And Nixon said, no, -uh, he wasn't going to do it. And then it went to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court unanimously said, yes, you are going to turn the tapes over. And when we heard what was on the tapes, we found out that Nixon had been lying the whole time. But he more or less got by with it. Because Gerald Ford, the next president, pardoned him. You know, when Jimmy Carter, who was the president who was elected in 1976, you know, he was a guy that came out of nowhere. Nobody had heard about Jimmy Carter. I mean, he's like from Plains, Georgia. But do you know how he got elected to a, the United States presidency? He looked at us and he said, I will never lie to you. Well, honesty evidently was more important then, even though we had slipped a lot. But along comes Bill Clinton. And Bill Clinton looked us in the eye and said, I did not have sex with that woman, sexual relations with that woman, Monica Lewinsky. You remember that? But the economy was good, and he sort of skated. Now, I'm, I'm just asking you, if you're growing up in America and in either of those generations, and you see the most important man in the free world look you in the eye and lie to you and get by with it, what are you going to learn? You're going to learn the truth isn't that important. And that is where we are today. You know, today, people are judged by how good a lie they can tell or spin. You know, spin is when people take the remnants of what is true and they weave them together in a narrative that sort of gets them by and there are some elements of truth to it, but at the same time, a deceptive position is presented. Spin. And then oh, the one I hate the most is, you know, somebody will say something or do something that's really bad and then, you know, they'll apologize and then the talking heads will get together and say, was the apology adequate? Well, you know they meant to say it or they wouldn't have said it. They meant to do it or they wouldn't have done it. But they come out with this apology and we say, okay, I guess the apology was adequate. I don't know if we understand what we're doing as a culture. We're basically saying it's okay to do something, to do it wrong, to mean to do it wrong, but to say that we're sorry when everybody knows they're not really sorry they did it. Have you called customer service lately? 
Oh, I'm telling you, those guys are getting to be pros at lying. You know, something, and, you know here's the thing. Uh, I, I truly apologize for that, Mr. Hoover. What does that mean? Are you going to fix it? No, I truly apologize. Well, does that mean you're going to keep your promise? That, you know, when I bought the product, we, we are sorry. You know what that means? We'll get you off the phone as fast as possible, and I'm not going to do anything about it. And we know that. We live in a culture where it's okay to lie. It's expected to lie. We expect people to lie to us, and people expect us to lie to them. I say that today to ask the question, how important is truth to you? Does it matter more than what you want? Does it matter more than being liked? Does it matter more than getting past a difficult moment? How important is truth to you? Now, I'm not talking about the people in this room because I'm guessing truth is important to you. But I think in America today, here, here is what the statement would sound like if we were to give an honest answer to how important is truth to us. I think it would go like this. I usually tell the truth, sort of. Well, most of the truth, if I can. Actually, now that I think about it, truth is what I decide it is. But what about when you're on the other side of the story? What about when someone is talking to you? What about when it's somebody important talking about something important to you? Is truth important to you then? I mean, you see this in our culture today. And I know this is going to come as a shock to all of you here in this room in the North Auditorium and those watching on television and around the world online. This is going to be a real shock, so prepare yourself for this. People lie on online dating sites. <laughs> they do. In fact, one online dating site decided to mine for data of the people that were on their site, and they asked them in a, in a, in a blind survey, how many will ad, would admit to lying? And they found out that 53% of people admitted to lying on online dating sites. Women lied 10% more than men did, but both lied. But when real studies were done, you know, not just do you lie, but when studies were done about how many people lied on, on, on online dating sites, 81% of people lie on online dating sites. Will somebody please explain that to me? Because you're talking about the most significant relationship in your life that you're mining for, or hoping for, in the hopes that somebody will come to know you better than anybody else knows you. Why would you want to start off by lying about who you are? I even saw the top 10 list of lies that men and women lie about. What's the number one thing women lie about? Their weight. <laughs> Somebody help me with that. How's that going to make sense at the first date? <laughs> number one thing men lie about, they say their jobs are better than they are. Make more money. <laughs> See, I'm asking you, how important is truth to you? Well, when people tell us that there's something, the truth gets important. I mean, what about identity theft, which is a huge thing today. Truth becomes very important to us when we think about somebody stealing our identity. Well, I'm not talking about us here today, but I think most people would say, I want permission to lie, but I want people to tell me the truth. How do you feel about that? Because, again, we're not talking about who we are on stage. We're talking about who we are backstage we're talking about the real person, the real character. How do you feel about that statement? I want the ability to lie, but I want people to tell me the truth. 
Well, I hope what we'll all feel as we just sort of move all that introduction aside, I hope what we'll all feel is a sense of the importance of character to say, I want to be an honest person. Because I want to tell you something. If you and I are dishonest people, our lives will not matter except in a negative fashion. They won't. We can talk about following our dreams and all that stuff that people talk about this time of year. But if we're dishonest people, our lives will not matter except in a negative way. And, and let me just tell you what drives me in this series and why to me it's so important. I, I have to believe that character can be developed. You know, when Rich and I were started talking about character the other day, it was instantly, instant that we started talking about our dads and how our dads have spoken character into our lives. But a lot of us did not have the privilege of having that kind of training. And, and so it could be that you're struggling here today with character issues, and you're saying, well, Mark, nobody ever taught me anything. But I want to tell you something. I am convinced that character can be developed. And we're going to talk about developing. How can I become an honest person? Well, how do you do anything that's right and difficult? Just think about anything. How do you do anything that's right and difficult? The only way to do it is to have motivations that are stronger than whatever it is that compels us to do the wrong thing. So with that in mind today, I want to close the, I want to close the message by giving you five motivations, five really, really helpful motivations to become an honest person. But before we get to those five, let me just tell you who we're not going to be because I think there are four kinds of dishonest people. And, and, and you can see if any of these apply to your life. The uh, first kind of dishonest person is real simple. It's just people who tell lies. You heard the old saying, how do you know when he's lying? His mouth, his lips are moving. <laughs> yeah, and there, you ever work with anybody like that? I mean, it's like lying is their default. I mean, it's like they just tell lies all the time. I mean, you, you, if they told you the sun rose in the east, you'd have to go out and look to make sure. It's just people who tell lies. It, it's like they love lying. Or number two, not necessarily a person who tells the lies, but a person who pretends to be something that he's not. It was like the guys I saw in the concert. They were, they were pretending to love God, to worship, to cry, and all that stuff. Clearly, when the, light cam, the, the lights went down and the, and the, and the curtain closed, they, they were not. They were pretending to be somebody they're not. Here's a third one, and it's huge in America in the 21st century, and that's just people who have no fixed truth set point. In other words, to them, nothing is absolutely true. And here's what we will say in America. Well, you have your truth, and I have my truth. No, you don't. And no, I don't. Truth is bigger than any of us. As, as Judge Clark, who is in heaven, one of my dearest friends used to say, facts are stubborn things. The truth is bigger than me. The truth does not answer to me. I answer to the truth. Tr truth is bigger than who you are. So consequently, there, this idea, well, that's your, that's your truth and I have my truth. No, you don't. In fact, the idea that truth is pliable or negotiable like that, you're, anyone who believes that is a dishonest person. And here's the fourth one. I'm going to guess that the first three wouldn't get most of us, but the fourth one might. In all my years of pastoring and talking to thousands of people, I have come to believe that there are people who are basically honest, except for when they get into a scrape or they get into a, a spot where they could get into trouble. And, and at that moment, they'll tell what they believe are little lies. And they get caught. And you know what they will say to me when they get caught? It's like, well, well really, Mark, I, I'm really an honest person. And honest, here's the thing. I, I believe they're right. You know, it's just like a guy that's basically honest, and yet, you know, his wife says, well, why are you late getting home from work? 
And if he told her the truth, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't amount to anything. But he just is afraid that maybe she's going to yell at him a little bit. So he'll invent something. And then he gets caught in it. And then he comes back to me and he's saying, well, I'm really an honest person. And I think he is. But the problem with being that kind of person is, is what? Help me. If you'll, you know what his wife is saying? If you'll lie about that, you'll lie about something else. And so that's good for all of us here today. Because I think there are a lot of Christians that are like that. We really are pretty honest people. It's just that, you know, well, we just want to get past the moment. And the problem with that is if you lose your integrity, if you lose that, that trust, you're going to have a really hard time getting back. So now let's talk about the five motivations for being honest. Here's the first one, and it's big. Kind of heavy, but we need to go here. Um, before I do this, <laughs> do you ever work for a company and you did something that you thought wasn't very big and you found out to that company it was really huge? I mean, um, my story. When I was in college, I worked for Coca-Cola. It was a great job. I was a salesman. I sold Coke products to grocery stores and convenience stores. And I did something that I got, I didn't really get in trouble, but I got warned real severely when I was in training. Uh, we were in a, a Winn-Dixie store there in Fort Worth, and we were serving the store, and, and we put some product on the shelves, and I was hot, and I was thirsty, and I walked over to the drink machines there, you know, the drink, in those days, you still had the, the can machines. And so I walked over to the can, and I looked, and there was a grape soda, and I love grape soda. The only problem was, it wasn't one of ours, it was one of 7-Ups. And so I put however much money it cost to get a canned drink in 1977, put it in the machine, out comes the great, great drink. I'm standing there in my Coke uniform drinking this, and the guy who was training me said, I don't know if you know this or not, Mark, but that is like the ultimate no-no. It is like the unpardonable sin for Coca-Cola. I threw it in the trash real fast. Now, drinking a grape drink, can that be important? Was well, to Coke. And see, here's the thing. I think when we lie sometimes, it's like, well, it's, you know, God understands. That's our problem. God understands. Let me read to you how lying looks to God. The Lord detests lying lips. Ooh, detest, that's a strong verb. In Proverbs 6.16, there are six things the Lord hates on the list. A lying tongue. When the Bible talks about hell in Revelation 21.8, it says all liars among the list. The place for them is the lake burning with fire and sulfur. Real quick, it doesn't mean if you told a lie you're going to hell. That'd be all of us. It just means people that are just dishonest choose to be dishonest. And then in the next chapter, the last chapter of the Bible, the Bible talks about hell. And it says, everyone who loves falsehood and tells lies. So let's just be upfront about this. This thing about being honest is really, really huge to God. You know, I left out a verse a moment ago. In, in John chapter 8, Jesus said this. When Satan lies, he speaks his native language, for he's a liar and the father of lies. You understand the reason why God gets so upset about when we lie is we're using the competitor's product. And it matters to God because you're a Christ follower, and when we lie, it matters to Jesus. Okay, here's number two. And I love this one after that last one. God is ready to help you. If you want to be an honest person, Pray and ask God for help. David said this in Psalm 139, verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Okay. Could be that we're here today and we're saying, okay, there is dishonesty in my life. Maybe I tell lies sometimes. Maybe I'm somebody that I'm not really. Uh, could be that I'm a lie when I get into trouble. 
Or it could be that I've been that person with no fixed truth set point and I bought the postmodern myth of America. But if that's the case, don't stay there. Go to God. Tell God the truth. Say, God, I lie. Sometimes I don't tell the truth. Sometimes I'm not completely honest. Sometimes I pretend to be somebody I'm not. Would you help me with this? Can you imagine what would happen if you would go to God and say, Lord, I want to be truthful. I want to tell the truth. I want to be truthful. Would you help me, please? You think God would say, no, nah, I don't think so. He would. So number one, it's important to God. Number two, ask God for help. Number three, <laughs> this, is the, this is the big one, and it's tough. But here's the deal. People will ask me sometimes, how can I stop lying? How can I deal with the deception that's in my life? Well, here's the answer from the Bible in Ephesians 4.25. You ready for this? Stop lying to each other. There's no 12-step program. See, truth, honesty, is a choice. So consequently, God is saying, look, don't do it. Stop lying to each other. In 1 Peter 2, verse 1, the Bible says, be done with all deceit. In other words, I'm through with that. In our house the last couple of weeks, Mary Alice has been in this process of dealing with our pantry. Isn't it strange? You know when you're young and you first get married, you don't have a pantry, you just have a shelf. And then, you know, you get a little bigger house and there's like a wall. You know, we're in one of those walk-in pantries today. You know how Americans are. If you've got space, you can fill it up. It doesn't matter how much space you got. So... Marielle has decided she's going to clean out the walkout pantry because walk-in pantry because we're both trying to eat a little healthier. She's not getting older, but I am, and so because of that, we're eating healthy. And and so you know what she did? She went into the pantry and said, "There's a lot of stuff here that's just not healthy," and she carried boxes of it out and got rid of it. Basically, what she was saying is, "We thought we wanted this. We stood at a store one day and said this looks good, but now we've determined it's not healthy and it's got to go. We're through with it." Now, when the Bible says be done with dishonesty, that's what it's talking about. God is saying, just be through with it. It hasn't helped you. hasn't done you any good. It's screwed up your relationships. It's caused you to lose precious opportunities. It makes you unhappy when you're not who you really are. God is saying, be done with it. Number four, the fourth and very powerful motivation for honesty is honesty is worth it because honesty actually helps direct your life. In Proverbs chapter 11, verse 3, the Bible says, honesty guides good people. In Proverbs 11, verse 6, the Bible says, the godly are directed by honesty. Listen, guys, in the 31 years I've been pastor here at New Spring, I've had to make hundreds and hundreds of critical decisions. I mean, when I drive up on this campus, I think about decision points where I face the future without any guarantee. I mean, in fact, there were times when I pushed all the chips in the middle of the table and bet everything on what I believe God wanted us to do. But I will tell you this. Every decision that I made, what helped more than anything was just to look at the situation honestly. Honesty guides. Listen, truth in any decision, whether you're dating or you're about to get married or you're about to start a business, just, just give me any scenario where you have to make a difficult decision, and facts are your friends. Truth is your friend. Honesty will direct you. When, and, and then that's why companies, before they do things like mergers and everything, they have to do due diligence. Why? Because there's this thorough analysis that needs to take place before they can make a d- good decision. Well, it's as old as the book of Proverbs. Honesty directs us. Isn't it true that when someone lies to us and we make decisions predicated on that bad advice, 
we constantly make bad decisions. Let me give you one more motivation, and I'll be finished. Not all of us here today, not all of us watching are Christ followers. There are some who are exploring. And by the way, let me just say this. You know, if you're here today and you say, Mark, I, I don't even believe in God. I'm a, I'm a non-theist. I'm not sure what I believe. or uh, You know, I'm, I'm an agnostic. Could I still tell you this series is going to be so helpful because character is just vital for all of us. But many of us are Christ followers. Let me ask you a question. Would you like for other people to follow Christ? Would you like for other people to know the forgiveness and the joy and the peace that you have? Do you realize how important our integrity is? In a world where people don't tell the truth to each other, do you have any idea how important honesty is for us? I mean, years ago, when I was a young minister, I read the story about a man who was crushed by machinery in a factory, and as he was dying because he was being crushed, he screamed out, can anybody tell me how to go to heaven? And nobody answered his question, and, and after he died... A couple of guys were standing there, and one said to the other, don't you go to church? He said, yeah. And he said, well, why didn't you tell him something about how to go to heaven? He said, well, the life I live shut my mouth. But on the other side of that coin, outside of Cairo, there's this little area called Garbage City. Every morning in Cairo, there's 7,000 carts, single-person single carts that leave Garbage City and go into the city of Cairo, and they bring out the trash of the seven-plus million inhabitants of Cairo, and they bring out everything you can imagine and what you can't imagine. Trash, bodies of dead animals, bodies of dead people. And they take it all outside the city of Cairo to Garbage City, and then the poor people that live there sort through the trash they've collected in the hopes that they can find something valuable or I mean, valuable. I mean, something in the trash enough to keep food on the table for another evening. Well, I should tell you this, that no Muslim can live in garbage city because the Muslims have rules about touching certain things, and because of that, they can't go through the garbage. And interestingly, outside the city of Cairo in garbage city, a lot of the people who live there are Christians because Christianity, that part of the world, is not advantageous. And so turns out that a lot of the people who collect garbage are Christians. Well, it's in 1972, and there was an Egyptian businessman. He and his wife both were very successful business people. They made a lot of money, and he lost a watch, an $11,000 watch. Well, an $11,000 watch today is an expensive watch, but in 1972? You can imagine a surprise one morning when... There was a knock at the door, and he went out, and there was a garbage man with a cart, and the garbage man had his watch. He said, I found your name on the back of my watch and looked up where you lived, and I brought your watch back to you. And the owner of the watch said, I don't understand that. <laughs> you could have sold it. Why did you bring my watch back to me? And he said, well, I'm a Christian, and my Christ tells me to be honest until I die. Later, when this man was being interviewed by reporters, he told them, he told the reporters, he said, I saw Christ in him. And I told him that day, I will worship the Christ you worship. And he kept his word. Got a Bible, started studying the Bible. Even went further than that. Not only did he take the Bible and start talking to his friends about it, he actually went to seminary and studied. And started a church. 
right outside Garbage City. They couldn't afford a building, so he found a huge cave and carved out seats. Today, that church is the largest church in the Middle East, the largest Christian church. In 2005, they were burdened to pray for their Muslim counterparts, not shoot them, but to pray for them. And there was a prayer for the Christians in Cairo, in the Middle East, to pray for their Muslim counterparts. 20,000 people came to that church to pray, all because a garbage man showed up with a watch and said, my Christ told me to be honest until I die. How do you feel about honesty? Is it important? Do you want it in your life? Do you want it if you're married in your marriage? Do you want it in your kids? You know what? If you'll be an honest person, your resume may not look like you want it to, but your eulogy will look that way. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next weekend.